So we're sitting down with the innovators, middle managers to CEOs who are on the front lines of digital transformation to see how they did it and what they learned. That's the important thing with change, right? Is that whether you're making change or adjusting to change, it's really about focusing on the people. So join us as we uncover gritty perspectives on turnaround jobs, prioritization, road mapping, user behavior insights, and scaling organizations. Our guest today is Riti Gupta. She has a decade worth of experience as an agile transformation leader with organizations like Wells Fargo, AIG, and Bank of America. Hear about the importance of the human factor in successful transformation and how grounding those humans in purpose and alignment is the first stage. If you're looking for a new set of tools to add to your digital transformation toolbox, you're about to get them. Let's get into it. Our guest today is Riti Gupta. She is an agile transformation leader focused on people, product, and organizations, and held some really impressive senior roles at Wells Fargo, AIG, and Bank of America. She's also done a lot for the community, a founding board member of Agile Week Charlotte, and a leader in Women in Agile Charlotte Metro. Welcome. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. So one of the things we're interested in in this current theme is pivots, transformations, turnarounds. You know, you are a transformation leader. I was wondering if you could tell us about some of the things that you've been through. Absolutely. Thank you for that question. So there's a lot that goes into just transformation. You know, the one thing that people don't realize is that transformations are hard. They're sticky. They're frustrating. But all in all, they're worth it at the end of the day. So there are a couple of examples that I would love to share with you, which I consider are pivots or maturation um, that I've been a part of. Uh, the one example may seem trivial, but it's really at the crux of transformation, where we truly want to focus on. And that is when I was a part of the transformation as an individual contributor, uh, we had to pause for an effort because just moving forward did not make sense. And in that moment, I realized that transformation always does not mean keep changing or keep going. It also means that it's okay to pause, reflect, introspect, and pivot. So that's really essentially made me understand that pivot and maturation or moving forward or transforming also meant to pause and reassess and come up with a very strategic, purposeful plan for adoption. The other example that I want to share here is uh, where I was leading a workshop as a coach, and uh, we were talking about how frequent reviews and demos were key for feedback. And it seemed to me that at one point, the more I explained that concept, um, the more somebody from a product perspective just could not you know, come to terms with that concept. And in that moment, somebody from the development team chimed in saying, no, they truly love feedback. They would love the feedback more on that incremental early basis. And I believe across the room, there was a light bulb moment that um, I witnessed personally uh, you know, which I love sharing the story about is that in that moment when the student becomes the teacher. So those are the kind of pivots we are looking for in transformation. You lead it, yes, but in the moment when you see people actually reacting and becoming their own transformation leaders, that is the moment that really it all comes together. So those are the examples I want to share with you. So, so in both of those examples, I think you sort of highlight these key ingredients, uh, and I'm wondering if you can do a, a, a click deeper on those in terms of what makes transformation work. 
how how would you describe the the less obvious aspects of of successful transformation uh, from from your view? Absolutely. Thank you for that question. So I actually put together a model after being in the industry of transformation, more specifically agile transformation for more than a decade. Um, it's called the pacemaker. And I'm not going to go through each letter there or kind of dive in, but uh, I do believe the key ingredients for enacting a successful turnaround is purpose, uh, assessing the current state, measurement, as well as engagement and education. Uh, really defining what the purpose of the transformation is, right? Do you want to be nimble? Do you want to go faster? Do you want it to be cheaper? Uh, and by the way, that's a trick question because there's more to the purpose definition that you really want to align yourself to when it comes to transformation. Assessing the current state, right? We're always so focused on the target state, right? Uh, we forget where we are starting our transformation journey from. So make sure you really assess it. Know what it is that you're lacking. Know what it is that you're good at. Uh, measuring, right? Measurement. You always measure what you treasure. So make sure you have actual guardrails, actual metrics that you want to measure your progress or lack thereof. And also the engagement portion, right? Uh, we forget that, you know, transformations cannot be successful in a silo. It is an act of collaboration and the education part of it. So important for you to invest in training, workshops, ongoing coaching, so those are the key few ingredients I feel are absolutely critical for any turnaround, any successful transformation. You said before we started recording that you were really interested in people, process, and organizations, and not just the organization. I was wondering if you could tell us more about that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, one of the uh, signs that as a leader, you want to observe when you're actually on any transformation, whether it's digital, whether it's business, whether it's process, operations or agile is people and people motivation, right? And drive is number one, in my opinion. And the way you witness this is if people are ready for a change, you know, we sometimes forget the human aspect of change. It's great to chase after the shiny process or the blingy tools, but at the end of the day, it's the people that we need to focus on. So make sure that you're creating a support system where people feel safe, people feel vulnerable to be able to take that change and move it forward. So it's really important as leaders for us to acknowledge the lack of engagement, the lack of motivation in order for you to build a support system, in order for you to create that safety net for your people to thrive in. So for me, people come first and then process and then organizations and so on and so forth. I love that. I, I love this idea that that digital transformation has to, you have to inject the humanity into it. And you even introduce by talking about readiness, you talk about a time component. So it's not necessarily do we have the right people or the wrong people, but do we have them in the state where they're ready to make that change? They're either hungry for it or they're willing to, to engage in it. Um, and the safety sort of helps you create an environment that, that might make them more ready for it than they were otherwise. Is, do I have that right? Absolutely. You know, sometimes, and I've seen this myself, you know, I've had my share of successes, but I've also seen enough failures to know that we need to start where we are at. Uh, it's great to chase that target dream of, you know, we're going to be agile, we're going to be transformed, you know, vision 2020 or whatever you want to call it at this point. You really need to assess where we are as an organization, as a firm, and as people today. And also, to be very honest with you, it's not one size fits all. 
You have to be aware of the ecosystem. You have to really lead transformation from the standpoint of people, from that one person who's going to help you get to those, you know, that level of transformation that you're seeking from an organization standpoint. We really do lose sight of that, you know, between product, technology, and operations. The foundation is culture. And guess who leads that culture? It's the people. So definitely right on. I focus a lot on people, transformation, and mindset before we get into process and tools. That's awesome. And, and you know, it obviously resonates with us. Uh, we, we talk a lot about a product mindset and, and uh, um, principles and values um, as, as the, the key surrounding elements to the kind of transformation you're talking about. That's fascinating. And, and so... Cont- can you contrast that with other approaches to digital transformation that you see that you you feel don't like miss the point or I mean you sort of hinted at them but I'm wondering if you're if you've seen common mistakes in digital transformation that you'd highlight Oh absolutely there are a few actually that I would love to highlight and like I said I've seen my share of successes but a lot more challenges you know the few things that come to my mind are really that engagement uh, alignment being one of them as a part of engagement and let me expand upon that a little bit. Sometimes we get into a very siloed approach of transformation. It's digital, meaning it's technology-led. It's business, meaning it's business-led. It's operations, meaning technology has no say in it. That true alignment is key. Um, you know, and I've seen this personally where I've been brought in to lead a transformation. And, you know, when I go to the table of, hey, this is what I need from you, business partner or technology partner, I get the pushback of, well, no, we don't need to be part of it. It's a technology-driven initiative or it's a business-driven initiative. That alignment is so key, and that's where the collaboration really comes in. And collaboration doesn't mean getting on a meeting together and talking through it. No, it really means, you know, rolling up your sleeves, getting into the trenches, and really working through the issues and challenges together, meaning owning it. That is one of the challenges that I've seen, not having that alignment. And the second is purpose. And I know I started the conversation with that, you know, purpose, assessment, education. Are you truly aligned to the right purpose? If your purpose is to drive business, if your purpose is for better technology, if the purpose is for faster, better, cheaper software, whatever it may be, you need to make sure that you're all aligned to the same purpose. And the one other thing that people don't really look at is um, a risk awareness, right? We all know there is risk to anything that we do every single day, especially if you're in a financial institution or if you're a fintech or if you're on your product-based company, there are risks. And there is furthermore risk when it comes to transformation because there is a lot more unknowns that we have to account for. And that's where the fear comes in, right? The fear of the unknown. So being risk-aware is so critical in transformation. So going back to kind of summarizing, you know, alignment, alignment and purpose, being risk aware, and last but not the least is making the investment in education and engagement. Make sure you have the right people leading the transformation. You make sure that they're educated, they have the knowledge, they have the expertise, because they can really prep you and your firm for being aware of the risks that you have not anticipated or come up with a better strategy to remediate that. So I wanted to dive in a little bit of difference in risk awareness. And I think risk awareness and kind of that idea of being open and vulnerable kind of have to coexist in a way. So how do you have those conversations and what's the mechanism around getting into risk and keeping that risk awareness kind of up to date? 
Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So I think you just hit up on something which is also key when it comes to people development. Um, and it's about frequent candid feedback, right? Being risk aware and being risk managers and being risk leaders, it is not just the job of directors or VPs or senior VPs or leadership. Every individual, every team member who is participating in the transformation or just helping with the business, with the operations, with the technology, has to be a risk leader, has to be a risk manager. So creating that loop, that feedback loop of frequent and candid insight and having retrospective conversations, having conversations around relentless improvement of things that we should be anticipating, you know, doing a simple exercise like Rome where you resolve the risk, you own the risk, you account for the risk, accept it, or you mitigate it, right? Doing those frequently is key to true success and also building um, an environment of being aware of risk. Uh, risk should not be an afterthought. If anything, that should be at the front of the house in terms of when you're creating your strategy and your adoption plans. And that is something that I talk about in my model of Facemaker, where R stands for being risk aware. It has to be a guiding principle, your North Star in a way when you're creating your adoption plan. Never lose sight of it. You have to bring that to the forefront of every conversation. That's amazing. I, I, I'm... It's um, it's it's so interesting to hear you talk because you have a number of frameworks that you've already dropped just to, just in talking about digital transformation <laughs> that you're clearly very intentional and thoughtful about what is ultimately a very messy human process, right? At the end of the day, and and so I I, I mean the question that I'm struck by is are you going to write a book? <laughs> are you? Thank you. <laughs> Can I, stop uh, I feel like you need to write a book. I, yeah. I know. Uh, well, thank you so much for that. And it's like you're in my head right now. Uh, so I am in the process of creating certain rough drafts. Uh, I do have a lot of real messy, in your words, experience that I can definitely, you know, bring to the forefront uh, of conversations. And that is on my mind. I really am inclined to write a book. I've created certain rough drafts. But I will say this, uh, for me, I'm really enjoying the ride that I'm on right now. Uh, but yeah, book is definitely in the future. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I can, I, I see there's, there's a lot of, like, a lot of gritty details. When we talk about digital transformation, it always feels so abstract in the way that you're talking about it. Yeah. You're talking about a toolbox effect to bring humans authentically through that, that journey, um, which is often missing that right. connective tissue between the promise of digital transformation and the reality. Um, and, and how do you do that? And, and it requires something in between that is really elusive, which is in, in my mind, at least or in my experience with this topic, which is judgment. How do you, you know, you said it should be okay to pause and reflect, but someone's going to make that call and that call has a cost. Yeah. So how you, how do you identify, um, individuals that can make those calls? Um, I think you have a sense for that, but, but do you recognize in other leaders uh, the ones that know when it's the right moment to say, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna go a different direction. We're gonna slow things down or or speed up, as the case may be. How, do you do you have ways of identifying good uh, digital transformational leaders from that that perspective? And it's a great question. And right off the bat, I want to tie two things that may seem trivial, but hopefully will create the impact and the response that I'm about to give you. Empathy and kindness are not just a people thing. Empathy and kindness are also a business thing. So the things that we don't talk about when we are creating products, when we are talking about delivering business value, 
when we are talking about controlling the future of the business and the operations, we don't talk about empathy and kindness. We talk about in respect of you, we need to be more empathetic towards people. We need to be kind towards people. I challenge everybody to take those two concepts, those innate organic concepts and apply it to your business. The moment you see a leader applying empathy and kindness to the way they interact with the people, trust me, they're going to bring that to the table when they're designing products or running their business. Empathy and kindness really opens up the door of innovation. If you don't believe that, I'll, I'll lean into that a little bit more. Empathy and kindness really help you understand that when it is a good time for you to pause and reflect as a business, as a revenue-making operation, and then try to bring innovation in. Just look around us. We are in the fourth industrial revolution of sorts. We are in a very disruptive environment where nimbleness and flexibility is absolutely needed. And we are leading with empathy and kindness towards the people. Now, take the same concept and apply it to your product creation and delivery of business value. You're going to create your products more intentionally. You're going to be very deliberate with your choices of tools and processes because the people that are actually going to be running those tools and processes need a little bit more in this environment. So automatically, you're going to do that. So I think those are the two things we don't look for in a leader when they're actually running the business. And that becomes more apparent when you see leaders with empathy and kindness towards their people, they're going to bring that to decision-making as well. So me as a leader, when I'm interfacing with another leader who really look at um, people operations in that way, I know they're going to apply to the business. And for me, that is the right candidate for you when you're trying to lead a form towards adoption and transformation. I think go back a little bit to talk about assessment. I mean, I think a lot of people in our audience would have a notion that they're maybe not quite where they want to be. And they may have some vague notion of where they want to be, or they may have a very clear notion of where they want to be. But what's the best way for them to start to assess their organization and really understand where they are? Great question. And I've actually had, um, have had opportunities to either assess the firm or the organization that I was supporting or actually lean on somebody else to do that. And both of those instances have been successful. They also come with their own set of challenges. Now, having an internal you know, individual leader assess their own organization can come across as biased sometimes, and rightfully so, because you're in the system, in the ecosystem. You may not realize what you need. You only know the problems that you're aware of. Now, bringing in uh, an unbiased, a consultant, a third party is always beneficial as well. So the things that you want to look for when you talk about assessment, right, it's not about how great we're doing, even though you want to focus on that as well, because it's a good people motivator. And we've talked about that, that you need to understand people motivation. You also want to focus um, on the assessment from a lens of revenue generation, operations, flexibility, nimbleness, all of that, right? So having somebody do that internally and then maybe marrying that with a consultant's approach of doing that externally in my opinion, is the right way. That way you kind of understand the ecosystem from within and you understand the ecosystem from the outside. So that's where the marriage really needs to happen is you are aware of your internal problems and you have a awareness of the problems that you see from the outside and then you bridge that gap and then your growth plan really addresses both those issues. So again, I think the perfect plan is to have an internal assessment and then have an external assessment and then kind of bridging that gap and um, continuing the adoption plan from that lens. I think it's a really good point because as a consultant, the first thing I do when I walk into an organization is go around asking people, so what are we doing? 
Like what's the plan? What are the priorities? And like, so I'm looking for that answer. And if I don't find it, then I start from there and say, well, why don't, why doesn't anybody know what we're doing? And then, so I kind of back into purpose as an outsider where I think internally people will focus on process. And so it's interesting to see, I, I think the combining an internal and external perspective might make a whole lot of sense for trying to understand an organization and people are going to come to it with a different lens and they'll offer up a different set of analysis that one, the outsider might miss some subtleties and the insider might miss some things that they're just not looking for because they've been so far, they've been, they're so indoctrinated in the organization, they're not going to see them or think about them. And combining those two seems like a really powerful idea. Right, right. And if I could expand upon that just a little bit, what you just said here, um, and I've been a consultant before, so I'm going to kind of chime in there from a consultant standpoint. You know, it's also important for the consultants to just observe. Don't ask the questions. It is so important for you to see the uh, the machine, if you will, in motion before you start asking what the machine does, because there is a reality check that happens when you're looking at the people operate the way they do before you kind of ask them why they're doing certain things, because that kind of gives you another perspective of what I feel that you can build upon. You know, sometimes it is not knowing what this machine does, but then seeing it in action, you start concluding what the machine should be doing. And then you ask those probing questions as to what the machine should do, and you'll see a gap right there. So that's another way for you to approach it is, yes, you have an internal person doing the assessment, kind of living the life, if you will, of issues and problems and challenges that we need to address. And then you have that external person coming in and really observing from a distance as to what the machine or the process is doing, and then asking those probing questions. I think that's very impactful in terms of creating that near-perfect adoption transformation plan for further growth and opportunity. How do you communicate purpose? So this is another one where I've seen, particularly as organizations are in a state of rapid growth. Now, I know you've worked for some real big ones, but what I see a lot in organizations is when it's the CEO or the product leader in the room with a handful of people, they get purpose, like purpose just gets communicated very well. But the larger the organization gets, the more complex, the, the larger amount of teams involved, I find purpose gets to be really hard. So what are some strategies you've seen to communicate, to A, define that purpose and then B, communicate it out? Yeah, great question there. And I love the way you kind of set up the question because you're right on the money there. Um, depending on who you talk to, the purpose may come across differently. In my humble opinion, over-communication is key here, right? Open, open and over-communication and then getting feedback. And the other thing that I want to talk about is when you are trying to create a purpose, I would say start collaboration right on. It's really hard for people to absorb the purpose if they have not been a part of it. The accountability is lost. So let's say you as a firm, you as a leader have decided to go down a path of digital transformation. And that definition may change, right, over time what digital transformation means. You need to make sure that you are not working in a silo or you're not compartmentalizing that approach. It is very important for you to start getting feedback from the get-go because the more feedback you get, the more input you get, and the more accountability is built in. And it doesn't, this whole transformation doesn't become a meeting versus a dating. It becomes an hour thing. So over-communication, open communication, as well as uh, frequent feedback loops built in to revise the purpose, really, I feel, 
grounds everybody. It anchors everybody in that purpose. Um, and that's where you're also driving accountability. That would be kind of my, uh, my opinion on that. Yeah, well, and it strikes me that if you're if you co-author the purpose, then there's an authenticity that's that's naturally going to be there. That rather than having this done to you, it's being done for you with you. So to your point, like that, that's the accountability switch. Yeah, that you you were you were part of coming up with this, but that could be a challenge, right? If you're a leader who's like, no, I need I need to take this organization in a fundamentally different direction, and I'm not sure that all the people that I have are the right people that are going to be in the next stage. How do you navigate that to the org? Right. Like, how do you communicate purpose in that if you're in that situation? Right. So there are two components to it, right? One is instinct. As a leader um, or as a person, you always have instincts. And believe it or not, I'm a big believer in instincts. Um, so it's very important for you to, yes, bring your purpose to the table, but you also have to be vulnerable. And you have to rely on your instincts that you may get feedback that may not align with yours. Right. The second is when you don't get the feedback, you have to try it. And again, that goes back to instincts. You got to try it. You got to fail. Yes. You got to learn quickly. You got to adopt and adapt. So in my opinion, sometimes you don't have the right people for the set transformation. And I've seen that personally happen where we've, you know, set up a team and that's our A team. You know, that's going to change the world. That's going to change the way we work. And then we quickly realize that that is not our A team. Heck, that's not even our B team. So going back to that revision of purpose, going back to the retrospective of understanding what the purpose is, may actually expose the fact that we don't have the right people at the table. And that's absolutely okay. That's another disruption I would rather have now versus later. So the feedback loop that you want to build in, again, the pacemaker that I talked about, where you know we do have R as a retrospective, there will be instances where you will be frequently not only inspecting and reinspecting your purpose, but also the people who are carrying that purpose forward. You have to rely on your instincts and your expertise, but also on the happenings around you. And that is peer feedback. That is actual progress or lack thereof on that mission plan that you've you know, created. And then retrospectively, you've got to change it and revise it. It's all of that in a way. As you look back on the, on the many transformations you've done, what was one of the biggest surprise, surprises? The biggest thing you thought, well, I didn't think it was going to go that way. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so I have a cool story to share there. So uh, I mentioned to you that I've had the opportunity to lead you know, transformations both in the U.S. as well as over 10 countries. So international transformations have been always fun. You know, I will say this, and this was kind of a rookie move for me, but I took my tested transformation plan and I said, yep, I'm going to go apply this in China or Japan or, you know, or Germany, for instance. That's the example I'm kind of leading us to is I didn't realize that, you know, certain countries have certain laws and boundaries that we need to be respectful of. And I'm not talking regional and cultural. I'm talking actual business operations related so we took a model and we went to Germany and we said, okay, this is what's going to work. And they're like, it's not going to work because we have very extensive labor laws. And that was the moment that I learned that, aha, one size is not fit all. You know, you can't really apply it everywhere we go. And that was a big learning for me because you need to be cognizant of certain boundaries that are there that may not become apparent till we actually get into the weeds and, you know, different ways of working. So that was a big surprise and also a big learning opportunity for me. And quite honestly, ever since then, I have been very respectful of observing. And that's where my previous comment came from is observation, in my mind, is the key 
for creating that adoption plan because if you don't assess where you're at and why you are there, you cannot come up with a growth plan. So that was kind of an interesting um, learning for me and also a challenge at the same time. So what does a typical adoption plan look like then? You, you mentioned an adoption plan and observation is a critical input to, to a successful adoption plan. What, what, are, what are sort of the contours of that plan? Absolutely. So the few things that I talked about before as well is making sure that your purpose is well-defined, right? If you cannot be grounded or anchored in the purpose as to why you're doing what you're doing, what are the goals you're trying to achieve from a transformation standpoint, from an organization standpoint, from a people development standpoint, uh, you are going to run into challenges because accountability is lost in the mission, so to speak. We talked about observation and assessment. Uh, don't try to boil the ocean, right? Start where you're at. I uh, want to make sure that you understand your current state of maturity, a willingness, as well as awareness of engagement uh, in order for you to carry on with the transformation. Uh, we talked about collaboration and alignment. That is so critical, right? When you do observe collectively as to what your challenges are as an organization, as a firm, as a group, you're able to collaborate better in hopes to achieve that purpose. So it's kind of tying back to that purpose right there. Um, educating very important. You've got to get trained, right? And I'm not talking about training in a tool or a process. Creating a culture of growth mindset, right, versus a fixed mindset. Investing in enterprise learning, um, that's where your money should go, really. Make sure that you stand up cohorts and communities of practices where you can learn from each other and then also from external industry leaders. Just what we're doing right now, right? Make sure that you have the right people at the table telling you what should be done or how problems should be solved. And measurement, you've got to measure. If you don't measure, you don't create guardrails and your metrics, you won't know how you're feeling. And that there is key. Measuring success is so easy, right? Measuring um, growth or failure is the hard part. So you want to invest in you know, creating those guardrails and stuff. I always say focus on the bad, bad stuff. Uh, once you focus on the bad, bad stuff, that's when you know how you're gonna be good and better. So those would be the few key ingredients, in my um, opinion, which would create that near-perfect adoption plan for you. And so you can read more about this when she releases her book sometime in the future. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, lots to come. So this is, this is so great. Thank you. Yeah, lots of, of great insight. I think this is one of those ones where folks are going to listen to it more than once. Um, oh, thank you. I appreciate you. There. So want to close a couple, two things we like to ask every guest. The first one is, how do you know, what do you look for in a team that tells you it's healthy or not? That's a great, great question. And having led teams for a while now, it may sound like, it may sound a little trivial, but really team happiness. And as a leader, again, going back to instincts, right? If one of your team members who's been gregarious and extrovert before, but now is not speaking up at team meetings or is not coming up with those brilliant ideas, uh, there's something wrong. You know, if your team member who's always been kind of raising their hand and saying, yep, I'll take that for the team, I'll, or, I'll organize that for the team, and suddenly seems deflated or not motivated, there's something wrong there. I kind of lead my teams the way I lead my household. <laughs> you know, my family is very open communication. Again, focus on the bad, bad stuff. Tell me what's wrong. You know, I want to participate in your accomplishments and your successes. 
I want to see pictures of your family, right? I want to see things that you did over the weekend. I want to see that pool shed that you are creating in your backyard. You know, I want to see pictures of the food that you have created over the weekend, all of that, but also focus on the bad stuff. Tell me how your mom's not feeling well. Tell me about some things that are not going well in your life. Um, instincts that goes back to your gut, listening to your gut quite a bit. And of course, you have the formal channels of one-on-ones and team meetings and staff meetings and development plans and performance evaluations. But I really focus on the basics, and that is getting to know my team better, you know, getting to participate in their happiness and um, as well as their frustrations and sadness. There's no silver bullet to that answer but it's a lot of reliance on your instincts and creating an environment of kindness and empathy, as I uh, talked about before. The other question we like to ask is what piece of technology, analog, software, or hardware can you not live without and you're not allowed to say your phone? Oh, no, that was my answer. Mm-hmm. That's a cute <laughs> answer. Is, is that sad that that's really, that's the only um piece of technology that I have right now that I feel I'm super addicted to. You've gotten stumped there. You have <laughs> really gotten I used to I used to be an iWatch person, right? And then of course with COVID, I don't even know what time of day it is anymore. Uh, and at this point I'm just talking. So I'm like, I'm really addicted to my phone. And the other piece of technology maybe would be an iPad, which is related to an iPhone. And I'm not endorsing any Apple products, but tablet. Let's let's be, you know, very generic and say that you've got me stumped. You've got me stumped. If I can't use my phone, I don't think I have another piece of technology that I'm addicted to. <laughs> that is the piece of technology we're all tethered to, one way or another. Yeah. Uh, oh my god. Going outside and walking around the block without my phone. Like, but realistically, nothing is major going to happen in the 10 minutes it takes me to walk around the block. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And when you said analog, I'm like, do we have those around anymore? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my dishwasher. Because ah, that that's sucker a gets used one. a couple times a day. <laughs> I know. Oh, that's a really good one. I may use that. <laughs> yes, it's constantly running. That and laundry, like how many clothes should oh we eat? Really, we're at oh, home the whole maybe. time. We're not even going outside. <laughs> what, what, what is happening? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And like, what are we doing? What are you washing here? The neighbor's clothes? <laughs> yeah. And, and so I think your point about like checking in, especially now, is, is, is so critical. And the other week, Scott and I went on a socially distanced one-on-one where we walked around his neighborhood. We did. So we did, we did. It was great, by the way. <laughs> That's so great. That And, you know, checking in, to your point, you just said it, uh, in these times is so, so essential because we cannot control. We don't know what we don't know, right? Every single day, I feel we get all this new information that we as humans, as corporate citizens, as parents, uh, you know, as well as taking care of the elderly, we have to absorb and kind of, you know, just take it in our stride. And checking in doesn't have to be a phone call or a text or a video call. It could be all of the above, or it could be just an act of kindness, right? Buying coffee for the person behind you, sending flowers to your friend who's been struggling, cooking a meal, you know, and delivering it in a socially distanced way, or ordering groceries, you know, using the many channels we have right now, Amazon, you know, it could be any of those. It's just a way for you to reestablish the connection that we have in a way lost or are losing because of the way we are. 
and checking on your elders, yes, but checking on your kids too. They're feeling it quite a bit. And I can say that as a parent of two young kids, you know, I do see them getting socially awkward. And it's just not them. It's our peers and our colleagues too. We spend so much time, you know, building relationships over the years that somehow are fading away because we haven't had a chance to do a happy hour or do a networking lunch or getting together at dinner, you know, an act of kindness can also take you, uh, I feel, further ahead in these times. That's great, great advice. So thank you so much for joining us and look forward to hearing more from you soon. Yes. This has been an episode of The Innovation Engine, a podcast from Three Pillar Global. If you have questions, comments, or guest suggestions, email us at info at threepillarglobal.com or visit threepillarglobal.com.